This is Free Talk Live. It is your show, and you can take control of the airwaves via the toll-free number, 800-259-9231 is the packet 8.net toll-free line for you, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are entirely free, so do enjoy those there on us. That, again, freetalklive.com. We're going to start things out here tonight with some breaking news in the radio business, or in the audio entertainment business, I suppose, because I don't think XM and Sirius satellite, they call it satellite radio, but it's, I mean, does it really count as radio? I suppose it does. It is using radio frequency transmissions to uh, to get the, the signal to the receivers. It's yeah. just not traditional radio. I no, it's, it's, it doesn't have a, a, a terrestrial stick from which it broadcasts, but it does broadcast from a satellite, so yeah, it's radio. So uh, there's some news uh, that's breaking. Uh, XM Satellite Radio Holdings and Sirius Satellite Radio Incorporated have agreed to merge. The two companies said today, and this is—I uh, mean, this is breaking news. The deal would consolidate the only two companies in the emerging business of subscription-only satellite radio and is sure to face tough scrutiny from federal regulators. Investors and analysts have been speculating about a deal for months, and it's funny too because I, we um, th- the suggestion had come up about a month ago, I think about them them possibly combining, and they were, of course, denying it. We're not even talking about that. And the absurdity of all of this is the suggestion that the federal regulators need to have anything at all, uh, need to have any say at all in this. And the reason why... They, they love to have a say one way or the other. Well, the reason why is because before there, was satel- uh, before there were satellite radio companies, there weren't any. Somebody, I think it was XM that started first. I don't remember which one of the two began first. But I think XM got into the game, and they created the concept of subscriber satellite radio service. I mean, there have been subscriber satellite services before, but it was all television. So XM created the satellite radio service for subscribers. And then Sirius jumped in the game and got in as a as a competitor to XM. Now, if Sirius hadn't ever gotten into satellite radio then we would have only one satellite radio company. Right, but now that they have gotten in, there's there's competition, uh, two people, in, or two entities involved. N- now we have to have the federal government to say whether or not they can merge. This is silly. Uh, the two companies said in a statement that Mel Karmazin, the CEO of Sirius, would become chief executive of the new company, while Gary Parsons, the chairman of XM, would remain in that role, XM CEO. And, now, what happens if um, one of the companies fails, or both of the companies fail, and... Um, now we have none. What, as far as the federal regulators are concerned? Yeah. Well, what if one of them failed, then we would only have one company. What which would is they... what they're preventing anyway. Well, presuming they prevent it, which we don't know if they're going to prevent it or not yet. I'm just wondering. I mean, if enough palms are greased, then this will go through just fine. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. If, if one of the companies went out of business, then we'd only have one left. Would the Fed step in and uh, subsidize the other company so, they could, so we could still have oh, competition? God. 1-800-259-9231. The two companies, uh, Hughes Panero, Hugh Panero from XM, will be overseeing the closing of the deal. The deal, they said, would face significant regulatory hurdles in Washington, including the FCC rule that clearly states that one satellite radio provider cannot buy the other one. Gee, when was that rule written? <laughs> After they uh, came into existence. Yeah. However, that rule could be waived. Hmm. Now, <laughs> I wonder what factors might uh, influence whether that rule is uh, is or going is or not going to be waived. Think well, it might be money. It would be money. Yeah. Uh, combination money and influence. Combination would also have to meet antitrust approval from the Department of Justice. 
The companies are expected to argue that they compete not only with each other, but also with a growing base of digital audio sources such as iPods, mobile phones, and non-satellite digital radio. And that, uh, that's all true. Yeah. Uh, XM and Sirius have both posted significant financial losses as they built up their programming lineups and recruited subscribers. Both stocks declined more than 40% last year on concerns about their continued growth in subscribers and softness in the retail market. But investors have helped out, uh, have held out hopes that a merger could bring costs down significantly. Uh, and then they go into the value of the shares. The companies didn't say what the new company would be called. Maybe Xerius? Uh, I always liked uh, XM better, than, just the name better than, uh, than Sirius. Yeah, it makes more sense. There's AM, AM there's FM, FM. Now it's XM. The companies, uh, the new company's board will have 12 members, including blah 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 blah. Other analysts remain less sure. They're saying it's a 50 percent uh, of 50 uh, 50 chance of passing regulatory muster. One of the analysts looked at it and said the deal could have a particularly tough time getting through the FCC. Of course, we all know that if you're in the radio business, you know that the FCC takes forever to do anything. They're so ponderous. And I mean, they're so bureaucratic as well. Uh, if you want the FCC to act fast, I don't know if it's even a possibility. Anyway, uh, the lobbying group that also uh, is, oh, it's going to be opposed by the National Association of Broadcasters, apparently. Lobbying group that includes radio broadcasters. Moffat says it was anyone's guess as to whether the FCC would change its rule, barring a consolidation of the two satellite radio companies. Now, if both... XM and Sirius, and I'm, I don't know much about um, running big corporations and stock prices and all that, but presumably the reason these two companies are getting together is because, as they mentioned here, they've posted significant financial losses. It's not cheap to launch a, uh, a satellite. I think they actually have their own satellites up they there. They have huge talent pools, too, both of them. Right, and yeah, the, the, uh, the money they've spent on, a, on amassing talent pools like Howard Stern... Of what was it? I think it was just five hundred million dollars for Stern alone. Incredible. Now Stern, uh, the Stern deal did get Sirius the boost in subscribers they were looking for. for uh, Sirius has, for instance, done a fair amount of catching up to XM as mm-hmm. far as subscriber base is concerned. XM still has, I, I think, a couple more million subscribers than Sirius does, but Sirius has been closing the gap over the last year. But even with the increase in subscriber base, apparently they're still having a tough time financially. It was the same thing with the satellite TV companies. They were in they were in the red for the longest time. They might still be. I don't know. I mean, this is a, uh, a this launching a satellite service like that is a long term business plan. A lot of overhead. And so, if both companies are hurting financially, if the FCC says no, or the Department of Justice says no to the merger. Couldn't that possibly put them both out of business? It could possibly. And wouldn't that be more antitrust than allowing them to merge? It, it, the, the thing is, is that you have this Gordian knot situation where, um, you know, you have two floundering companies that want to merge so that they have uh, some viability. They, you know, their antitrust laws say that they can't, and so. If they don't let them, one at least one will go out of business, and then um, presumably, if the other one can hold on, it will pick up some of the subscribers from the from from the uh, one that passed away. Right. And uh, you know, therefore, maybe they'll have a better chance at viability, or um, they don't get enough subscribers quickly enough. You know, people say for whatever reason, I don't want to subscribe to mm-hmm. the new one, and then they both die. And so you you really the the federal government can't help here. 
They I, should not be involved. I agree with you. I, and I could see, for instance, now I've never subscribed to either one of the services, but I could see that I know there are some radios. The people who subscribe to them love them. Right. I know there are some radios that they sell that have both compatibilities. You can do XM or Sirius. I believe those are out there. But I don't think most of them are that way. Now, I could be wrong on this. If you know more and you can clue me in, 800-259-9231, the toll-free number, packet8.net toll-free line. But imagine yourself as a subscriber to, say, Sirius. And let's say the FCC doesn't allow the merger to go through. And Sirius is hurting financially more than XM, so Sirius goes out of business first. Well, then as a subscriber, you've got a radio in your car that you've paid money for. You know, one of them, at the very least, one of them has a deal with Chevy or something. Well, yeah, whatever. I mean, I mean people, a lot have, of people have them in their a cars. A lot of people have yeah. these things in their cars, and there was, it, it's not a significant financial outlay, but it might have been a hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. And so there you are. And most of them do have AM and FM receivers in them as well. I think 99, probably all of them do. Yeah, so you, you get could, the equivalent, you have the modern day equivalent of an 8-track player in your car. Well, you could still, uh, you can still use the AM and FM receiver. Well, an 8-track player would have an AM, FM receiver in it. Right. The XM or the Sirius, the Sirius portion, which they're going to go out of business, if they go out of business, is useless to you. And so you might be a little bit turned off of the idea of going ahead and subscribing to the other service. And then paying to get a new radio put in your car. And having to, yes, front up, uh, to handle that upfront cost just, for the, uh, just to risk them going out of business, too. Mm-hmm. So I could see that if one company went out of business, that it would be pretty difficult for the other company to really take a significant portion of its subscribers. They might just throw up their hands in the air and say, enough with the satellite radio thing. I'm going back to FM and AM. I don't have to pay for those. 800-259-9231. Don't have to buy new equipment every two years. More on the way. You can take control of the airwaves. Your thoughts on the merger or whatever's on your mind. On the way in Texas, the black market is erupting in cigarettes. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up whatever you want toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site totally free, and that does include the archives. An entire year's worth of the show right there on the front page of the website for your downloading convenience. So do enjoy those. They're on us at freetalklive.com. And February's winner of the Lysander Spooner Award, Radicals for Capitalism, a freewheeling history of the modern libertarian American movement, by Brian Doherty, outlines both the history of libertarianism and its true influence yet to come. Check out this and many other books and videos on liberty at lfb.com. That's laissez-faire books at lfb.com. As we go to the phones, to the fun, let's talk to Michael in New Hampshire. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Oh, good evening, gentlemen. Hey, Michael, you're on the Amplifier line. What's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to call in real briefly about this satellite radio thing. This this whole thing is just another extension of why I'm have not bought satellite radio and probably never will. Why? Well, um, two things. One is that is the programming aspect. If you buy, say, a serious satellite radio, but you want to hear something on XM, you're you're kind of stuck. Right. They don't they don't operate with each other. You're if one of these companies, and that kind of gets into the second point, if one of these companies does go out of business, you've got this this box here, this worthless box, that you can't use with the other service. Well, you can still listen to AM and FM. Yeah, you can still use. Who's going to pay $100 for, a, $100 plus for an AM, FM radio? 
Well, no one's paying $100 for an AM-FM radio. It's They're just getting an AM-FM radio out of the deal. If after they it's go all. out of business, that's what they'll have left. Right. Do you think there are that's a lot of not... do you think there are a lot of people that feel the same way that you do and they've been holding off for the same reason or no? I honestly don't know if anyone feels the same way I do, but that's that's why I've been holding off. So I So I've you were holding out simply you were holding out because um because you can't get both programming, you can't get both services. I suppose you can. Aren't aren't there um uh, there are multiple uh, I think there are radios that have both services in them, but then you just have to pay twice as much. Are there? I haven't. I haven't seen one of those. I presume that there are. I think I've seen something like that, but I haven't actually been out shopping. I don't really, honestly know. So now, if the federal government allows them to merge, would that increase your likelihood of uh, purchasing the service? Actually, it might, because then I wouldn't have to really worry about whether this box is going to work with this service. I wonder what would happen though if they uh, if the two companies if the two companies are allowed to merge. I wonder if they will have to increase their their um, what they're charging. Like for instance, if you want to uh, add on the XM service, you probably are going to have to pay extra. So instead of twelve bucks a month or twelve ninety five a month, it might be t- twenty twenty bucks a month for the whole thing. True. Even so, that might not be too bad. Depending on well, it depends on the programming. I mean, sure. Well, if you want both programming, you can get both services. You can. Uh, yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got two radios. Maybe. <laughs> Either way. Uh, it's going to be interesting to watch and see uh, what happens. Michael, I know that you actually are in town visiting here in uh, Keene, New Hampshire. You're gearing That's up right. for uh, the upcoming Liberty Forum. And uh, what's going on tonight? There's actually something happening right here in Keene tonight, some uh, some activism. Tonight, it, from what I understand, I just found out about this, so I don't know all the details. Um, tonight, down at Central Square in Keene, there is going to be a uh, hanging in effigy of a former president <laughs> in celebration of President's Day. Is, is today President's Day? Is that Yes. Oh, I didn't even know that. Uh, apparently it is. The uh, federal government took the day off. The state government took the day off. Yeah, it was a short notice for me. I found out probably about the same time you did. Uh, apparently, they're going to be hanging Lincoln in effigy. And, Mark, you were concerned when I mentioned this during the break. Why are, why are you concerned well, about this? <sighs> Although I, I understand and agree with uh, the hanging of Lincoln in effigy, um, I think that there are going to be people that find it uh, diff- difficult to understand. Well, there's going to be, he I is, believe there's going to be was a voted, speech. Uh, he, w- he was voted that, in fact, uh, to be the, the greatest president of all time. Well, people are just... They're misinformed, mm-hmm. and there's, I believe there's going to be a, some sort of a, a speaking engagement to accompany the hanging. It's not like they're just going to go and hang the effigy without saying anything as to, I believe they're going to be indicting him for being a racist. They're going to be indicting him for a variety of different crimes before they actually hang him. So, I, w- I wonder what the newspaper will say about that. I, I'm sure the newspaper <laughs> will say whatever we want it to say. We write the, the newspaper around yeah, here. The, the Keen Free Press. I'm, I'm at the, uh, the, the Keen Sentinel. I, that's, that presumes the Keen Sentinel is in attendance. Uh, it does oh, presume it. Let them know. Uh, they should have, but I don't know if they did because they just announced this thing yesterday. And I think that was the only problem with the event is that it was just sort of has- hastily thrown together. But nonetheless, you'll Hey, to... I've got a Lincoln man- mannequin around. Let's hang it. I know you said you were... <laughs> I know you said you were going to be there taking photos, so I'm sure that uh, you'll be posting them over at uh, nhfree.com or somewhere else like that, right, Michael? Assuming they come out, yes. Very good, sir. Well, have a good night and have fun. Uh, Take it easy, and we'll talk to you later. 800-259-9231 is the toll-free 
Packet8.net line. That's 1-800-259-9231. So, as you know, if you were listening at the beginning of this year or just uh, around around New Year's, we reported on a story out of Texas. In case you don't recall, Texas, on January 1st, increased their cigarette taxes by, I believe it was 340%. They essentially took it from uh, something like 41 cents a pack to $1.41, so they kicked it up an entire buck a pack as far as taxes are concerned. And what do you know, Mark? The black market has already begun to emerge in Texas. Well, it's it's bound to happen. If you, uh, if you raise the taxes high enough, people are going to say to themselves... I want to get my cigarettes elsewise. I want to save money. And, and you know, if you raise them one penny, then a certain small, tiny fraction of a percent will uh, decide that. And if you raise them $10, then a good large portion will decide that. So um, they're not it, charging, it's bound to happen. They're not charging as much as New York is, but it's more than anywhere else down in the Texas area. Mm-hmm. So people are willing to take extra steps in order to get their hands on cigarettes at cheaper prices. In fact... According to my S, uh, MySanAntonio.com, the new tax on cigarettes is supposed to make $700 million for the state of Texas per year. Smugglers along the border are stealing some of those cigarette tax dollars. Don't you love that stealing language? Stealing them. They're stealing the money from the government, Mark, because mm. the government apparently owns that money. Apparently. Uh, by offering I mean, smugglers- what if I quit? Then the government would I be stealing? Would I be stealing yeah. from the government if I quit smoking because they projected this number of theirs? Yeah, well, they're offering uh, smokers a cheaper alternative. In fact, sales have tripled at a cigarette store in southern New Mexico. Driving to New Mexico to save $8 a carton is apparently worth it to some Texans, says cigarette outlet sales clerk Zach Colkard. Across the border in Mexico, street vendors are peddling packs of cigarettes for half the price of smokes in Texas. Mm. And more and more these days, lots of customers try to avoid the sales tax hike by sneaking their stash across the border and bypassing the booth set up. By the state of Texas to collect taxes? Hmm. Now, this article doesn't actually go into detail on what it means by booths set up. Well, I would imagine that the booths are probably, uh, you know, you can get all these things from uh, duty-free shops and that kind of thing. Or you could just buy stuff and then pay the duty on it at the booth. So So this means that when they say the border, they mean the southern border. Yes. They mean the Mexican border. Correct. And And so the booths, I guess, are set up. Beyond the actual checkpoint at the border? I would get, I would assume. I don't know. I... 1-800-259-9231. We'll get into more of this about the black market and cigarettes erupting in Texas as we speak. Your calls as well. This is your show. You take control. It's Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features totally free. Shrine of Female listeners included. Dozens of ladies have taken the time to send us their validated photo. We put them up on our website because we appreciate our lady listeners and we want to show you off. Women of all shapes, sizes, colors, ages uh, have participated, and you could as well. Head over to shrine.freetalklive.com to see what that's all about. That is shrine.freetalklive.com. And what's your liberty issue? Is it the war on drugs, 
Register now for the February 2007 New Hampshire Liberty Forum. Speakers to include Jack Cole, Executive Director of Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, and Rob Campia, the Executive Director of the Marijuana Policy Project, as well as New Hampshire residents who are working to end the war on drugs. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum for more information and to get registered. That's freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. And we're not really talking about the war on drugs right now, per se, but it could be in the future. It could be a war on cigarettes sometime in America's future. There are certainly people in positions of power, politicians and the like, who would love to see cigarettes banned. The Attorney General, I believe, is one of them. You know, uh, there there certainly are people in power that would like to see cigarettes banned. Surgeon General. Um, (laughs) But... You know, the the government uh, hopes to get all these taxes off of them, and they keep on raising the taxes. They're only going to um, they're only going to cause people to break the law or to try to circumvent the law and somehow to uh, try to get lower cigarettes. In fact, uh, in Texas, that's what's happening right now with the increase in cigarette taxes in Texas going up 340 percent at the beginning of this year. People are starting to discover alternative options as far as purchasing their cigarettes. What a surprise. You know, they could have called us and asked us. They're driving across the border to New Mexico, saving all of $8 a carton. Uh, That's a significant savings. That's Mm -hmm. worth a short trip, especially if you're going to stock up and buy more than one carton. Make a decent trip out of it. Uh, Also, if you go across the border in Mexico, you can get cigarettes for half the price. Apparently, a lot of people are trying to avoid the sales tax hike by sneaking their stash across the border and bypassing the booths set up by the state of Texas to collect taxes. Apparently, people are well aware that the booths close at midnight and reopen in the morning, so you just go over the uh, during the overnight. If the experience on the other border with Canada is any indication, cigarette smuggling could skyrocket along the southern border. Texas smoker Travis Salazar said, I think if the price got high enough, they'd definitely develop a black market for them. Of course they would, Travis. Because if the government is essentially insuring profits by increasing taxes in that way, there's no reason why uh, gangsters won't get involved. People in search of profits, easy money. I mean, that's easy money. You're going to charge $8 a pack. Now, that's not what it is in Texas yet. But if you're charging $8 a pack, I can go and buy a bunch of cartons, uh, you know, buy the back of a semi-truck's worth of cigarettes at, you know, dirt cheap wholesale prices, bring them into town and sell them at $5 a pack, and all day long I'll be making money. Yeah, I don't know if you, uh, I mean, this isn't probably going to be organized crime getting involved. It uh, is in New York, where they're about $8 a pack. That's the terminology they used in the article. But it, it's probably just enterprising folks that work sort of in the gray of society, you know? Well, if there's organization to it, then it's organized crime. But how organized? Well, I guess you'd have to get involved to find out. I don't you? intend to, thanks. One method already being used in Mexico is known as Trafico Hormega. Like an army of ants, smugglers carry small amounts of contraband across the border hidden in cars. Now, that's not going on with cigarettes. That's going on with illegal drugs, the ones that are entirely prohibited. Immigrations and Customs Enforcement report some international rings, uh, report some international rings, traffic large shipments. David Regalado of ICE says it's the same, if not more, profit in cigarettes than narcotics. Now, that's not true. No. He's a liar. Investigators of the He probably lar- already said he, he's probably the one who said something about organized crime too. Investigators on the largest illegal cigarette case of its kind in US history uncovered another danger, counterfeit smokes. The ring was based in El Paso, but supply lines stretched to China. The boxes and boxes of cigarettes with brand names were all fakes. Five men wanted in that case are still on the run. Others were fakes? Six, Yeah, they were probably cheap Chinese Off-brand. cigarettes. Uh 
boxed in Marlboro boxes, mm, made in very China, interesting. brought in by the black market. And, and this is typical of the black market. You're going to uh, pay to, sometimes, sometimes you'll get a good deal, sometimes you'll, you'll get what you're looking for, and sometimes you'll get ripped off. Sometimes you'll get something that you weren't expecting at all. Sometimes you'll get a product that uh, wasn't as it was advertised. Mm. And, the, and the dealer, who may have been just in town for a short period of time, someone you won't necessarily see again, is gone with your cash. That's typically when this happens, because if you're buying, for instance, from a dealer who you've bought from before and you plan on buying from again, if he sees you again and you say, hey, man, these aren't Marlboros, then he's going to say, oh, you know what, I'm sorry, I, uh, I made a mistake, I bought from somebody new this time, I got a bad batch, look, I'll, I'll, give, you your, I'll give you a discount on your next box. So a dealer that's sticking around in the area has a reputation to, to be considered, and so he's going to try to make good. But if it's somebody just sort of um, stopping in town for a little while to unload some, uh, some counterfeits, then it'd be a different situation. Yeah, then you're just out of luck. You know, another thing that's likely to happen is uh, that, that people will traffic a great deal of these cigarettes over from Mexico or New Mexico, depending on where it is that they want to do it, and then they'll try to um, sell them to local shopkeepers, local, uh, you know, the little, uh, the sort of mom-and-pop uh, convenience store. Without the tax stamps on them? Right, without the tax stamps. Now, and and some of them will buy them, and of those some of them, a few of them will get caught yeah. selling them, and then that's not good. you have the gun of the government enforcing these taxes. Yep, you sure do. Others were cigarettes made by the manufacturer, but only for sale abroad. Rigolato said they'll, sl- uh, they'll show us the Mexican document indicating it went south, when in reality he bought that document in Mexico. Smugglers use the fake documents to hide the fact that the cigarettes stay in the U.S. tax-free. Some of them never even leave, apparently. It's happening everywhere, and ever since that case, more cases have been opened up all over the border, and in Canada as well. In Texas, uh, and he, he almost... Almost sounds excited about that, doesn't he? Can't you hear the excitement in his voice? Mm-hmm. The ice guy, immigration and customs enforcement. Yeah, he's excited because the more they raise the taxes, the more the uh, the black market gets involved. I don't think it, you, you can call it a black market until it's prohibited. So I think it's probably more of a grayish to dark gray market. So the higher the taxes raise, the more black the market gets, mm-hmm. and the more illegal so-called uh, trafficking of cigarettes will happen, the more ICE and the Border Patrol will get all excited about being able to bust cigarette smuggling operations now. So there's one more thing for them to, one more excuse for them to search people's cars, one more excuse for them to pat you down. I mean, maybe they're going to start checking individuals to make sure they're not smuggling in, uh, you know, a carton in the back of their trunk. Maybe they'll check the tax stamps on everything to make sure they've all been purchased correctly uh, where they should be. And they already have booths set up to collect taxes on packs coming in from other uh, from Mexico. In Texas, where more smokers are searching for a lower-cost way to satisfy their craving, some authorities are bracing for a surge in black market cigarettes. Bracing, huh? Mm-hmm. As though Because they... this is really going to adversely affect law enforcement, right? Of course not. They'll no. get more budgets. Well, they're they're going to be able. They're going to say, "Oh, they're just going to chase no. after people who are um, who are selling cigarettes." That's well, right, all. but that but that's going to require extra money because you see they've got money set aside to chase after people who are selling pot. You really have to bust, You really have to bust a lot of packs of cigarettes to make that uh, bureaucrat's time um, of any value. Otherwise, well, because how many cops are they going to put on the um, cigarette busting case? They have a cigarette interdiction squad in New York City. They're going to create one in Texas. Right. So how many? 
uh, you know, we pay these bureaucrats thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. The guy at the top, he mm-hmm. gets seventy, eighty. Um, but they like don't that. have to justify it. No, they don't have to justify it. But it, it, what it I'm telling have... you is, is it's just more money being thrown at the problem, and it's my money and your money. Right. So they'll they'll put together a crack team of five cigarette interdiction specialists, and they'll pay them fifty thousand dollars a year, and uh, you know that's twenty five two hundred fifty thousand dollars right there of taxpayer money, and it doesn't matter if they only bust a hundred thousand dollars in cigarettes. Doesn't matter. There's no cost. Benefit analysis when it comes to government. It's just we're doing a good thing, busting these illegal cigarettes. It's okay that we spent twice as much as uh, we actually brought in. That's fine. And they'll so they'll upgrade. Uh, you know they'll upgrade their equipment and get some guns and some body armor. Thanks. Yeah, that's what's coming soon. It, that's coming soon to Texas. Just watch. Just wait until they until uh, the government gets uh, even more greedy with the taxes on these cigarettes. After the first year and them getting their extra seven hundred million dollars in tax dollars. They're going to want more, you know. Yeah. And cigarettes are an easy target because people don't like cigarettes. So we can go after the cigarettes. 800-259-9231. Of course, the question is, which city will ban them entirely? We're not quite to that point yet, but we've had some cities come close. We've had some of them try to ban them from inside people's houses and that sort of thing. As time goes on, it'll get even more crazy. More on the way. You take control. It is Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live, the toll-free number is 800-259-9231, the packet 8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can take control of the airwaves, 800-259-9231. You can also join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free. We do ask, though, that you voluntarily support the show by voting for us. We uh, could use your vote. We're, I believe, last time we looked, we were number one. It's yeah, we're number one, but we're just so barely number one that it's pathetic. Right. So I mean, we really like, need... If you've yet Three to votes vote, ahead. if you have not voted this month, please go to vote.freetalklive.com. Cast your vote for the show. It takes your email address and maybe a minute of your time. Uh, and the, your email address will not be sold. It won't be spammed. So far, we've, cra- we've set a record for number of votes in one month, but we need to continue setting a record because the other guys are right behind us. Uh, so we need you at vote.freetalklive.com. We started out the hour mark by talking about a potential merger between XM and Sirius uh, satellite radio companies. And I just like to talk from time to time about sort of inside radio things. I think, that's, I think that some people find that interesting. And so that's why I brought it up. But apparently there's more to the story that you didn't bring up at the time. So we're going to talk about it now. Sirius and XM looking at a merger. Seriously, they've announced a merger. The question now remains, will the federal government allow them to merge? And there's some possible stipulations here. Well, it's not, part, it's not part of the merger, necessarily. The foes of satellite radio are marshalling their forces again. As a bill introduced to Congress this week would bar XM Radio and Sirius from broadcasting locally differentiated services, such as... Oh, so this is this doesn't have anything to do with a merger. No. This is just an anti-satellite radio thing. Right. Such as traffic, weather, and emergency information. Titled the Local Emergency Radio Service Preservation Act of 2007. Oh, gosh. H.R. 983 is... Uh, co-sponsored by Representative Gene Green and Representative Chip Pickering. Not surprisingly, it is, uh, has the backing of the, the National, National Association of Broadcasters, which has contributed heavily to Pickering's campaign war chest. The justification for the bill is clumsy, Jeez. saying that the Federal Communications Commission only intended the satellite radio services to provide national programming. That purported restriction would enable the FCC to continue supporting a vibrant and vi- um, vital terrestrial radio service for the public. 
So radio needs this help. It's protection. Apparently, yes. Representatives Green and Pickering legislation would also give the FCC nine months to conduct a rulemaking proceeding which would um, evaluate the effective um, the effect on local radio stations of allowing satellite radio providers to offer local services. In addition, the FCC would study the satellite providers' local capabilities. At the end of the proceeding, the FCC would then explicitly authorize the satellite radio companies to offer local programming. So wait a minute. Slow down a second. Let me see if I process this because I think I missed something. You're saying the bill would mandate that uh, they would have to halt providing local content? Right. And then the FCC would study, study mm-hmm. whether they can or cannot continue. And then allow them if they did. And then decide to uh, or not allow them. Right. Okay. I see. You know, this is typical of the National Association of Broadcasters, and, and we've spoken out against them before, and I don't think we're going to be winning any Marconi Awards anytime soon because of it. Uh, but it's typical of these guys because they've been used to being a protected business for the entire history of broadcast radio. AM and FM radio has always been protected by the FCC, and uh, they were very upset when XM and and Sirius launched, they're very scared. They mm-hmm. launched into a, a campaign, a national advertising campaign, uh, vaunting national, uh, vaunting AM and FM, FM radio, vaunting how, it's how wonderful Locality it is, of and, it all. and the free the freeness of mm-hmm. it. And the commercials, in many cases, were very lame. And so here you here you are again, them buddying up with politicians. Hoping that the politicians are going to save them from XM and uh, and Sirius Satellite Radio, and you know all this really is is uh, the National Association of Broadcasters admitting that they're useless. They're yeah, well, admitting that uh, that they're an, they're an old technology and they've got absolutely nothing going for them. So they have to. Uh, well, I think radio has a great deal going. No, I for disagree it. with that. But that's what they're essentially saying by coming out with this. Oh, we can't compete with these right. big satellite guys, even though they're losing money hand over fist. We just can't compete with them, and it's and it's total crap. It's because, the same yeah. sort of mentality that handed over Amtrak to uh, the government, and you know, just basically flushed railroad in general. There are there are radio programmers out there that know that they can beat XM and Sirius, and I don't know why they don't talk to the. National, uh, National Association of Broadcasters and say, hey, we, we can handle ourselves, okay? We we know what we're doing. We've been broadcasting for decades. Uh, because I think they'd we can still like the help, the, competition. the quote-unquote help. They want the protection. Yeah. They want to uh, to attack this organization, which, by the way, I haven't heard the uh, the XM serious traffic stuff. But as I understand it, do they have do they have different channels for every city, or are they putting a, like a Tampa on one station uh, and Atlanta on the same station? Like, is there a southeast channel where you have to listen at the top of the hour to get Tampa, five minutes after the hour to get Atlanta? How how does it actually work? I can't answer that. It, I, I it's got to be clunkier than actually tuning in to your local news station to mm-hmm. get the latest weather. And if you're not in a major market, this isn't an issue. Are the major market stations really doing that bad? Are the major market uh, AM and FM stations really hurting? Are they hemorrhaging cash so bad no, that they need to turn money. to the FCC? They're making money. Yes, they are making money. Mm, uh, and it's because they're good at what they do. And, and they, they want to beat up on these two companies that aren't. That's the funny thing. Yeah. The, radios, uh, the radio stations are making money. These two companies are not. And they want legislation against these two companies. It's amazing. Stop it, guys. 
Is there more to the story? Um, both satellite radio companies currently offer local uh, traffic and weather and their, to their subscribers. More importantly, they also carry public safety information, such as Amber Alerts for missing children, along with other emergency information. During the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, they became an important resource after local stations were knocked off the air. Neither XM hmm. Radio nor Sirius have been able to put together a profitable quarter since their launch, but it hasn't wow. stopped the terrestrial radio stations from feeling threatened. And when you're feeling the, the competitive <laughs> heat, why not turn, the, turn to the government for um, for help just in case the free market doesn't work out for you. Yep. This is the fourth time the NAB backed legislation that would place limits on satellite radio broadcasters and has been introduced to Congress with Shame the previous efforts ending in failure. Shame on the National Association of Broadcasters. I would agree. They're an embarrassment you know, it, to the industry. It, it's a, it, it is an embarrassment to the industry. It's an embarrassment to radio stations. Come on. We can compete. Really. Yeah. We are competing. Radio stations We're beating are the pants competing. off of them. Uh, and, well, I mean, well, you've got I mean, it, it's decades like, of history, so... It's like saying, teacher, teacher, make the ki- crippled kid not get in the race. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, such, it's such a bunch of namby-pamby crap. Yep. I mean, the, the fact is, local radio can always do things that, that XM and Sirius cannot. Mm-hmm. Local radio stations can provide local content. They can provide, a, uh, a sh- they can provide show hosts mm-hmm. that no one else can provide. That's what's wonderful. I mean, talk radio in general can do things that other radio can't. But local talk radio stations have a, a degree of autonomy that uh, that no other station in the market, let alone XM or Sirius, can match. They can hire local talents. And XM and Sirius can have Tampa and Atlanta and West Coast and East Coast and uh, middle-of-the-country-based stations. They can have channels on their service that sort of tailor programming to those areas but you can't ever have a, you know, Florence, Alabama channel on XM. No. You can't ever have a Yakima, Washington channel on XM. Markets that are smaller than 10, than, you know, 1 through 10, New York through whatever 10 is. I don't know what it is. Houston, I think. Houston's number 7, I believe. But um, whatever those markets are, it, beyond that, XM and Sirius have a very limited bandwidth. When you're dealing with launching satellites, you've got uh, carriers and transponders and various different technical jargon. But essentially, that satellite, sort of like your internet connection, your internet connection only has a certain uh, level of speed that it can go up to. And once you reach that cap, you're prevented from going going any further. Now, your internet provider can raise that cap. For instance, here in Keene, the cap is like 4.5 megabits per second. Well, if I wanted to pay an extra 50 to 100 bucks a month, I might be able to get that raised to, say, 6 to 8 megabits per second, mm. something like that. It doesn't work that way with the satellites. They can't just crank up uh, the signal and but increase their got bandwidth. But surely they've got some uh, unused channels. Maybe. I would They're think. shuffling channels already. I've, I saw a news item uh, last week on All Access, which is like a radio website, uh, talking about how Sirius is changing their channel lineup. They're taking some off the air. They're adding some new ones because some are working, some aren't. Now, they may mean, still have some... Um, that doesn't mean that necessarily that they're um, shy of channels. They that may could still have some overhead, yes, but the fact is... They only have so much. Yes. They can't actually go and easily upgrade their bandwidth capabilities. They'd have to launch another satellite yeah. in order to do that. And considering they're not making money yet, they certainly can't possibly do that. The 10th market is Detroit, and uh, Houston is 6th, so they've probably raised recently. So there's only so much of a level that a- that uh, XM and Sirius can compete with local stations at. And if local stations know what they're doing, 
and they're not running a 100% syndicated lineup, which means 100% of their shows are something else that could be picked up by XM or Sirius, mm-hmm. then they've got something unique. And if they've got something unique, they've give, they're giving people a reason to tune in. And the fact is, even if they're running 100% syndication, they can still be unique with local news and local weather. And that's something that the XM and Sirius can never bother them, uh, can never compete with them at. So shame on the National Association of Broadcasters. They're an embarrassment. Hour number two is on the way. Your calls about whatever's on your mind at 800-259-9231. This is your show. It's Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 2, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind via the toll-free number at 800-259-9231. That's 1-800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. The features there are totally free, so do enjoy those. Uh, They're on us. That's freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones to the fun. Let's talk to Jim in Tennessee. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Jim. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. What's on your mind? Um, I was listening to your Friday podcast, and you were talking about the sex toy thing, and then uh, Joe called in um, with his lovely little uh, biblical law concept. Okay. Um, and it it just really bothers me when people uh, talk about how things should be illegal because they're sinful and you can go to hell for doing them. Yeah, it bothers me too. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, the Old Testament certainly has a lot of laws, but the New Testament says a whole lot about how that people need to uh, separate God's law from man's law. Like, I mean, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and God to what is God's, and don't judge unless you be judged. Right. Mark, any thoughts on this? Because you're the, kind of the religious guy. I don't really know what <laughs> yeah, you're saying. It, I, I, I agree with him, um, but that's about it. And he's, he's right. You know, there, there is supposed to be a separation between the, uh, the two laws, and I just I don't know why, why it Christians is. don't understand that. Well, because they believe that um, what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong, and they've got um, what should be illegal and what sh- what should be wrong collapsed. Right, and then that's the problem. Like they've merged the two. Is mm-hmm. basically what you're saying. So, is there a, is there a way that we can fix this? Well, if we could have, we would have. Um, it's, it's no, really. So we just have to like get away from those people. Then I would say pretty much that's that's the case. Yeah. I mean, some of them get it, some of them don't. You know, there's education involved, that kind of thing, but that's about it. What about, what about you? What do you think? Do you think there's any saving some of these people, or should, they, should we just encourage them all to move to the same state together? Like the, I, I believe it's actually, they actually have something. It's called the Christian Exodus, uh, Christian Exodus Project, where all the Christians that want to impose their way on others can all move to the same state and then impose their way on each other. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Jim? Jim? I mean, there's, there's kind of a, I mean, uh, the that you hear about trying to force morality on others are definitely the more vocal section. But, I mean, like, my family is a United Methodist and fairly liberal, although I'm a libertarian. Okay. And, I mean, you never try to... I mean, I've never been taught that you should force your morality on others. I mean, like the Bible says, if you do these things, you'll go to hell, but great, let God take care of that. It's not our problem here on Earth. Probably has more to do with the fact that your parents are liberals and therefore more tolerant of uh, social freedoms, that sort of thing. I would guess. Yeah. That's just a guess, though. 
Yeah, but try arguing with him about minimum wages. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Thanks <laughs> for the call, Jim. We appreciate hearing from you, sir. 800-259-9231, the toll-free number for you. So this whole forcing your morality on others, can we just stop it? I mean, stop. Let other people make their own choices for themselves. And, you know, if you think it's a bad choice, then you're certainly within your rights to say something to them. I think that might be a little bit rude, but you can certainly, I mean, I'd rather much, much rather have a bunch of rude people than people trying to throw me into a jail cell for having sex with my girlfriend. Because that's what they told me last week. These callers told me that I should be in a jail cell. Because, because I want to have sex with my girlfriend. Because you're having sex outside of uh, yeah, marriage. Yeah, outside of marriage. Yeah. Well, which, by the way, were um, were Adam and Eve married when they had their kids? Well, there wasn't a United States government to marry them, so mm. well, you know their their marriage was somewhat questionable. According, uh, let's uh, let's change gears and go to the the uh, the war on drugs. This one from AssociatedContent.com. According to Q13 Fox News, a new type of methamphetamine has made it to the West Coast. Police say the new form of methamphetamine is known as candy methamphetamine or strawberry quick on the streets. The drug is cooked and flavored to look a lot like rock candy. This new drug is intended to hook kids. By the way, we're going to actually have a response from a methamphetamine dealer to this particular article after I'm done with it. Okay. This new drug is intended to hook kids, and police said the attorney general's office in Washington is on high alert. Attorney General Rob McKenna says it's despicable to market methamphetamine to anybody, but particularly abhorrent to consciously market it towards kids. Paul Peterson of the Kent Police Department says, and to flavor this deadly drug is really insidious, eating its way into our society and destroying us from within. This new form of methamphetamine was discovered in a drug-related crime in Carson City Some uh, this, this past uh, January. Some teenagers in the San Francisco area have admitted to using the candy drug flavored with chocolate. Hmm. Some have even admitted to cooking the drug with Coca-Cola and other flavors of soda. The drug is flavored to mask the bad taste of, of methamphetamine. As of yet, the candy methamphetamine has not made it to western Washington, but police say it's only a matter of time. Authorities say... So all it is is they're changing the flavor of this and, you know, taking it from some nasty, uh, you know, bathtub gin well, flavor to... Uh, from from the scanning that I've done of the meth dealer's response, mm-hmm. this article is just full of crap. Really? Like the whole thing. Okay. The drug, uh, but I'm just going to read the uh, the misinformation so you have some ideas of what he's responding to. Authorities say the candy methamphetamine has only been around since the beginning of the year and has the effects, and the effects have already been felt in health clinics. Dr. Alex Stalkup, a nationally well-known drug therapist, has just begun to see teenage patients who've experienced the ill effects of the candy drug. Dr. Alex Stalkup said one of his patients did not know the substance was methamphetamine at all. The patient claimed Come on. he was told it was solid, a solid form of the energy drink Red Bull. This is clearly a drug to be introduced to children, says the doctor. Amanda Zwink, a 17-year-old, says, I've never heard of the candy drug before today. Tim Flynn, a 15-year-old, says, I think it's horrible. People using drugs and stuff. It's not good in our neighborhood. Experts believe 18 to 25-year-olds are the most likely individuals to use the extremely addictive drug. The usual concern They're with probably this... the most likely to use the drug anyway. Yep. The usual concern with this particular drug is with long-term addiction, but now the drug becomes a problem with younger users. Younger users are more susceptible to overdosing, which could potentially end them up in the emergency room. Police say methamphetamine has a grasp on people in the community, and they will not give up. Police say they'll continue to target those who manufacture and sell it. And of course they will. And the those who continue to uh, manufacture and sell it will continue to make obscene profits on it. 
because the police are targeting him because the drugs are illegal. But let's check in with an actual drug dealer. Let's uh, touch base with a methamphetamine dealer, somebody who at least used to sell methamphetamine. Don't think that they uh, they currently do, but this is their response to that particular article that we just read. In view of that, let's get one thing straight. Just because someone has dealt or is presently dealing drugs, although it's absolutely not a commendable nor legal act, but still to an addict sometimes a necessary evil and therefore justifiable to them, this in no way whatsoever should ever imply that the dealer is selling drugs to children. Having been a methamphetamine dealer before and being enormously experienced in that field, if you will, I can be considered one who can relay the facts as they truly are. Yet the reality that I have sold drugs before doesn't make my statements biased to any degree due to having emerged triumphant from the crippling despair of drug abuse and the entrapping methods used to support a habit, especially one which many victims, unfortunately, find too difficult to lay down. Further, in the eight years that I used and sold drugs, particularly methamphetamine, I knew of only two dealers of whom it was rumored that they might be selling their products to minors, meaning 18 or younger. Both of these people were subsequently cut off, a phrase that dealers use to convey the fact that the person is no longer allowed to purchase any drugs from that certain clique that they might be selling. So their higher levels, the, uh, the upper echelon, cut these people off, the people that were selling to kids. Education seems to be the answer to almost any widespread problem that we're facing uh, as a country. The propaganda used to label users and hinder progress and confidence in recovery has to be exposed for what it is or we're damned to stay in one place as a nation, at least on a social level of responsibility, as we just keep on passing things over by declaring, that's not my job. Therefore, the following paragraphs touch upon information that brings clarity into the growing fog of misinformation found within the claims of the war on drugs. And as you might know, if you've done even a little bit of research on drugs, you'll know that the government regularly lies about them. Now, they tell probably the most lies about marijuana. And so when kids and that sort of thing find uh, people find out that the government has lied to them about marijuana, they inevitably probably wondered to themselves, well, what other drugs has the government lied about? And in this case, while it's a common myth that many meth dealers cook up a batch in their bathtubs at home or anywhere else for that matter, most dealers buy their product from larger scale dealers. Most of those larger scale dealers either pull their product from California, Texas, or Mexico, or from a middleman who buys from a connection in California, Texas, or Mexico. So it's the drug chain distribution as it's always been. It's very rare, according to this meth dealer, that any meth dealers will cook up their own batch. They're buying from the the mid-level and high-level dealers, just as it works with every other drug. More on the way about Drug War Lies. It's Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up whatever's on your mind. Toll free, 800-259-9231 is the packet. 8.net toll free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features there are totally free. Bulletin board system included. Nearly 200,000 posts, 1,400-plus people interacting. It's all totally free. That's bbs.freetalklive.com to get you there. bbs.freetalklive.com. And do you have a child in your life? Be they son, daughter, or sibling, give them financial literacy. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton teaches, uh, teaches the child the basics of finance, money management, and real estate investment. School doesn't teach kids about money. Only their loved ones can do that. Give your special child a Kid's Journey to Getting Rich. Order it at akidsjourney.com or call 1-800-657-5066. That's 800-657-5066. That's akidsjourney.com. We're talking about drug war lies. 
There was an article in the American, or actually Associated Content, just full of uh, misinformation about a so-called candy form of methamphetamine that allegedly was found uh, in a drug bust uh, in, in Nevada in January. And police are alleging that the dealers are cooking the drug with chocolate and Coca-Cola and other flavors of soda and, and to make this candy methamphetamine, and they're alleging that it's being marketed towards kids. And so I think it's going to be interesting to see what an actual meth dealer has to say about it. As he's already pointed out, and he's a former meth dealer, he sold drugs for eight years of his life. That's a that's a fairly long career in the world of uh, the drug business. Yeah, sounds lucky or yeah. smart, one of the two. One of the or two, both. or both. And as he points out, first and foremost, that in the meth, even in the unscrupulous business of the methamphetamine world, even he only knew two other, of two other dealers who might have been selling to teenagers, people under the age of 18. And he said that those two dealers were actually cut off as a result by the people that were selling to them. So there's even some level of morality going on here. You know, I, I, but I bought drugs when I was below the age of 18. I mm-hmm. mean, d- dealers are doing this. Oh, sure they are. But um, it's not as widespread as the police would like to make you think. That's what he's pointing out. Well, it's a common myth that uh, many meth dealers cook up a batch in the in their bathtubs at home. He points out that's just not true. Most dealers buy their product from mid-level and high-level distributors, who are of course buying them, uh, making them in huge batches in secret locations. I would believe that. In addition, there have been statements in the past which claim that everything and anything from Clorox bleach to a well-known indoor roach spray is used to make methamphetamine. This is not the case with actual meth. Of course, there's no real way to know what someone used in a batch that they whip up. But there are, all, there are ways to tell if you're getting the real deal. For instance, the product differs by a large margin between the homemade product and that made by, and that made by a do-it-yourself mom-and-pop lab at home. When a user has purchased what they would call real meth or ice, it's different from mom-and-pop's recipe in many ways. From the appearance to the taste to the way it melts down when heated, obviously easily seen characteristics tell the user if he or she is buying something potentially more hazardous than real meth. When classifying in a drug a drug addict or a drug dealer, grouping them into the mat, due to the different categories of people ranked within a society, very seldom are we able to look at the person being labeled. On the news or in a magazine, one might hear of a drug dealer gunning down another person, selling drugs to kids, or committing any of the horrific and violent acts one might perpetuate on mankind. Understandably, it's then to and of course, this we as we pointed out many times, all of those things happen because of the black market. Those things happen typically because these dr- drugs are illegal. There's no violence in the aspirin trade, and there's no violence in the beer trade. Nope. Understandably, it's then decided that drug dealers are of an unconscionable sort, uh, unconscionable sort who beat their loved ones and howl at the moon. Though I've met two who were said to be without guilt of any committed act, the majority of the dealers I've known actually do have at least something resembling a heart. It's not the heart that they had before the drugs or before instant gratification became possible, no, It certainly isn't the same heart that he or she had before shame and guilt gripped every moment. One thing is well known in central Alabama, at least, I guess that's where he lives, is not it's not cool to sell drugs to kids. Knowing that we Alabamians are not on a higher spiritual plane, nor do we boast intelligence quotients as being in a higher rank than the rest of the country, so chances are there are other people across the United States who believe that dealing drugs to kids is a despicable act, even though they create their ethics among uh, criminals. 
The old gangster movies depicting a burly man in a black suit named Tony or Knuckles who breaks down a door searching for someone who owes his boss money just isn't reality. Actually, the guy's name is Roger. Seriously, though, people who become addicted to drugs and then find a way to support their habits through dealing are common folks, just like you. They're mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and even full-time job holders. They aren't necessarily a tattooed, bull-like man who takes a debt out on a person's knees. Very often, it's been my experience that a drug dealer will feel sympathy for a user. I cannot count the number of times that I wiped away debt because emergencies developed within a user's life. Although I took measure to ensure that I was being told the truth, as drug, drug addicts are the best liars on earth, I routinely, came out with, uh, I routinely came out in the red financially. More often than not, and that's because if you've got a drug user, for instance, buying, if you're a meth user, I can't imagine how often they buy that stuff. It's got to be fairly often. I would think so. So buying on a daily, if not every other day basis... You're making a significant amount of money off. A friend of mine uh, did it, and he'd he'd stay up for days at a time, and then sleep for Go days. Go get some at a more. Time. Yeah. Well, you're you're making a significant amount of money off of a heavy user, and mm. if it turns out, you know, something goes bad in their life, it's not wor- It's not going to be worth busting their kneecaps over. You just drop the debt and drop them as a client if if that's necessary. Right. I would I would say that you either want to get your money out of them, want to get future money, or they're just not worth the trouble. More often than not, due to me allowing a more affordable price or turning money away because the customer had a utility bill due and the absence of power at their home would have affected their families. It could be said that the drugs affected their families worse than being without power would have, but the user would have found the drugs somewhere else had I refused to sell to them. This could be said to have, an, uh, to have been an... So essentially, he's saying he gave people breaks. If they were having a tough time, he'd cut the price back or give them a, free, you know, a freebie. This could be said to have been uh, this could be said to have been an eventuality resulting from excuse on my part back then, but for which I would assume the responsibility to allow him or her to pay me back later. Still, some dealers in America are very bad to the core. Belonging in a prison, yes, but if I were ever asked to count how many out of 100 would ever create or market a drug with children as its target group, I would say that perhaps two of them would have been so brazen. And so financially stupid. Unbelievable? No. This is why. There's a much larger group of dealers who would see that the kind of horrendous act is being unforgivable. Not only would someone like, uh, like that be cut off by um, his uppers, but also they might suffer on a greater scale of loss if they'd just done something like that, if they had done something like that here in Alabama. Even though, manuf- even though a manufacturer of the product, he or she would not be considered the top of the food chain. It just would not have been tolerated. Moreover, I'm quite sure that we Alabamians do not have a deeper emotional threshold than anyone else in this country. And it's not something in the water here either, folks. So he's pointing out that if, for instance, Mark, you were one of the unscrupulous two dealers that decided to create a drug to manufacture and sell to children exclusively, then um, people in the business would be a little angry with you. They have kids, presumably. Right. So you might have some sort of repercussions to deal with if you were to have been caught uh, by other people in the business. I think doing it's possible, sort of but it, it seems to me that some dealers are out there dealing with kids. 
you know, if kids, Usually, if kids are um, people be 17 and 16, that kind of thing. What you're looking the at... The farther you go down the line, the less likely it is. What you're looking at is probably, Mark, people who are of a younger age set, people between 18 and 22 or so, purchasing from upper-level dealers, and then the younger dealers are essentially the ones dealing to kids. That's probably more what's, what's going on. More on the way with the meth dealer. This is Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free, but if you think other people deserve to hear this show... Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up whatever you want. Toll free at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll free line. Ian here with you. And Mark. That's 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com we got a lot to share with you on our site, and it's all completely free. And that does include the live streams that we have, broadband version of the show, and a dial-up version awaiting you totally free at freetalklive.com. Only days remain for you to register for the Liberty Forum, the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, coming up this weekend, February 23rd through the 25th. The Meet Libertarian superstars like John Stossel, Michael Badnarik, and many more, the most influential libertarians in America, will be there. freestateproject.org slash libertyforum to get registered and get the latest information. That's freestateproject.org slash liberty forum we're going to be there hope to see you there as well it's going to be a heck of a weekend mark i'm looking forward to it all right so back to the story about uh, the methamphetamine dealer responding to what was essentially a propaganda piece uh, that hit the news recently about a so-called candy version of methamphetamine that's allegedly flavored and of course the cops are all upset saying that somebody's marketing a drug to children which, of course, as the meth dealer is pointing out, that's just not the case. And now he jumps into the actual article. You know, they did this with LSD, too. Um, they said, well, you know, LSD has these little cartoon pictures on the blotter, so it's going to entice children to take it. Yeah. I don't think so. No. All right. So as he first, first thing he's pointed out is that in his, uh, he was um, doing meth sales for eight years of his life. He was a drug dealer for eight years. And so he met a number of other drug dealers, he met a number of drug clients, and uh, from what he pointed out, it is very unlikely that anybody were ever to sell to children. Now, some people were selling to 18-year-olds and 17-year-olds, but he said very few dealers even ever did that. But how is it that kids are getting the drugs? I mean, 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they're getting them. Well, they're getting them because somebody's selling it to them. Obviously. Just not most dealers. It's some unscrupulous dealers that are selling to... Probably younger ones. Uh, yeah, it, it's usually younger dealers, um, because if you're uh, younger... I mean, I asked you, Mark, you said you bought some drugs as a kid, and you remember buying them from people who are in their early 20s. And, as, as I can recall. Right, and that, that makes sense. It's very unlikely that somebody who's in their 30s or their 40s is going to sell to somebody who's under the age of 18. But they will sell probably to somebody who's in their early 20s, and then therefore that person doesn't really have as well as much of a moral system developed, or they feel like they're still in that same age range category with those others. So then they sell to the 17-year-olds or the 18-year-olds. And again, a lot of this could be eliminated if we just legalize drugs and let store owners decide who they wanted to sell to. But let's talk about the actual detail in the article here. The suggestion, the article was, that the new drugs intended to hook kids. Truth A. There are many methamphetamine users who partake of the drug by uh, the method of oral ingestion. 
I myself remember that wrapping a chunk of it in a small, thin piece of tissue paper, which kept the user from swearing and stomping about for ten minutes or so. Yes, it tastes that bad. Many truckers wow. I sold to preferred uh, dropping some in their steaming coffee to begin their long hauls. Some of them said they could still they, they taste... have a whole cup full of bad taste. Some of them said they could still taste a hint of it in the coffee, however, and would actually decrease the amount of the drug, although they loved using it due to the taste. Instead, they would drink more cups of seasoned coffee. These points in mind, it's completely obvious why someone decided to make it taste better. Truth B. No matter which type of evil form of methamphetamine that a user prefers, whether crystal meth, normally in a powder form, or ice, a harder rocked form, the target group of buyers for the drug that the chef has in mind are users who have the money to pay him for what he produces. Even if I were heartless enough to want kids to sample my drug, chances are they wouldn't be able to afford it. Compare the cost of methamphetamine to the cost of marijuana in the measurement of what is called a quarter ounce. In Birmingham, a user will pay anywhere from $475 to $550 for a quarter ounce of methamphetamine. Now you compare that to 40 to $125 for a quarter ounce of marijuana. The $125 being for what's known as hydro, top of the line, one puff will do you, greenery. How many... Um uh, how many servings are both of these? I don't know. It's a quarter I ounce. I don't either. It's a quarter ounce. I mean, that's. Uh, I've seen a quarter ounce of pot before. I don't know what a quarter ounce of meth looks like, but it weighs the same. It, it does weigh the same, but I mean, you could need less meth to get high or whatever. The point is, it's more. It's a more expensive product. It is that. Now, keeping the pr- uh, price difference in mind, ask yourself this. Could you easily afford a methamphetamine vice? Do you think a child could? Would a dealer want to practically give his product away since his desired target group doesn't easily afford it? I mean, what were you making an allowance when you were 10, Mark? 10? Yeah. All right. I don't I don't know as though I had one, but if I had one, it was probably, you know, a couple of few but few dollars a week. It sure as hell wasn't enough to buy any methamphetamine at all. Uh, dealers are normally a holder of that career choice because they must support their own habits. That typically is how it works in the drug world. Uh, usually somebody will have a meth habit, and then they'll find a few other people they know with a, or they'll get them hooked on the meth. That way they can pay for their meth and make a couple bucks extra at the same time. Right. Well, while the experimental... Do you honestly believe that he or she will want to experiment with such a uh, costly product while the experimental targeted group is one that promises no immediate return or near future gain? This could cause the dealer to possibly have to go without his own drug of choice in order to afford to give it to kids. Doesn't seem likely. Drug dealing is not normally a career in which you decide to take one for the team, lest someone believes that a dealer would introduce a drug to a select group because there's a chance that they might make someone else money years down the road. I mean, it's just an absurd suggestion. And and this is what Barry Cooper told us over the weekend. Right, 10-year-olds don't have money. Right, people aren't selling to 10-year-olds. Okay, yeah, 17-year-olds, 16-year-olds... 18-year-olds, they, they have jobs. buy something. Uh, you know, well, there's certainly young uh, girls, 16, 17, 18, even younger, have a commodity that they could tr- trade for large amounts of money if they so chose. And then, uh, you know, young young men in that particular area can steal things to make enough money. So it's possible they could get enough money if they were 16, 17, 18, I would think. Truth based on falsity. Attorney General, this quote from the article, Attorney General Rob McKenna says, It's despicable to market methamphetamine to anybody, but particularly abhorrent to consciously market it towards kids. I couldn't agree more, says the drug dealer, Mr. Attorney General, if if that in fact was a potential reality and not the attempted plot of a new spun-out B-movie. 
Moreover, I can say from being on the end of that spectrum that anyone who actually does consciously market towards kids is an imbecile when it comes to financial endeavors and will be out of the game in no time flat. Might this quote be from an archived political file marked, Let the general public think I'm saving the day speech, sir? The war on drugs, indeed. And his, I think his suggestion here as to why they will be out of the game is not just because they won't make any money selling to kids, because they won't, but also because uh, kids don't tend to be very good at keeping secrets. Oh, yeah. So, for instance, um, when you're in the, the, this business, you want to, at any time, a deal, a, a a customer could get busted. Right. And everybody you deal to, deal to or with is potentially the guy who's going to you know snitch you out. Yeah, he's going to be the one to snitch you out. So. Everyone's a potential risk, and it's just a fact of life that the older someone is, the less likely they are to snitch you out. I would say that's probably true. I don't know why it's that way, but they've I learned just, the lessons. Right. They've learned lessons of life. They uh, also, if they're a drug addict, they want to get more drugs when they get out of jail. And so they're not going to snitch you out if they know there's a chance that they could possibly come out and uh, and prove to you somehow that uh, that they're safe. Uh, the, the kids don't care. Kids don't have any scruples. Kids don't have a, a moral a set moral system. They don't have a, much of a uh, capacity for the future either. And so therefore, you know, whatever it takes right now to take care of me, and then you know, forget right. what the future is going to hold. And they're more likely to uh, to believe the lying cops. They're more likely to fall. Right, they haven't seen they haven't seen uh, NYPD blue enough times. Falsity. Some have even admitted to cooking the drug with Coca Cola and other flavors of soda. The truth? Someone may have actually found a group of teens that tried the drug. I'll give in to that possibility, but I'm not suggesting that there are enough. As I'm not suggesting that there are not kids who do drugs. The problem with this, however, is it's just as likely that the teens were acting out the tough, experienced user routine in front of their peers due to the fact that the statement made about cooking it with cola unveils their ignorance to how it's made, though they claim to have done just that. To my knowledge, there's no way to cook methamphetamine with a carbonated liquid. But for argument's sake, I called an ex-manufacturer who has been in recovery and completely clean for three years. Given the scoop, he had this to state, quote, It wouldn't work. I don't think you should list why it wouldn't in a formula for the world to see. If somebody wanted to just flavor it, that wouldn't be in the cooking process. So again... This article that we originally were reading were citing kids as a source of expertise about this drug. And they just don't know what they're talking about. Mm. It's just a, an article full of lies. More on the way. Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. That's the packet 8.net toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Mark. And join us online at freetalklive.com. All the features on the site are totally free, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier. You like what we're doing on Free Talk Live? You want to help support the show? Then head over to amp.freetalklive.com and join the over 320 other listeners that have decided to become Free Talk Live amplifiers for as little as 3 bucks a month. The concept is simple. You send in three bucks a month, and we turn it around into promoting the show. Advertise, market, and promote is what AMP stands for. And uh, we're buying advertisements in industry publications. We're buying online advertisements as well to get more radio stations together uh, on the air with us, to get more Internet listeners on board as well, and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide as possible. And you'll get some perks as well as far as being a Free Talk Live amplifier is concerned, including access to the amplifier-only phone lines, the amp-only forum, and more, all there at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. Just a few more thoughts on the uh, the methamphetamine situation, and that is that 
we're actually reading an article written by a former meth dealer, somebody who spent eight years of their life selling drugs. And so they've got a fair amount of expertise when it comes to this whole war on drugs thing. And she's just, and it's actually a she, she's just picking apart uh, this article that we started the hour with, essentially claiming that there's a new candy form of meth that's being marketed towards kids. Well, first of all, as she points out, kids, uh, most drug dealers that she knew would never sell to kids. There are a few unscrupulous ones out there, but very, very few. And they're only selling to ones, uh, kids that are eight, uh, 16 and 17, the ones that actually have money. Because kids, those are teenagers, kids, 11, 10, 9, they don't have money. And the drug dealing business is all about making obscene profits. You can't sell a $500 baggie of methamphetamine to a 10-year-old. It's just not economically feasible. No, they just don't have the 500 bucks. Then in addition to that, there were claims about this flavoring of the drug. You know, the, idea, the suggestion was that they'd flavored it with chocolate somehow, so to make it uh, more tolerable to the users and more attractive to children. Well, she called up one of her former dealers, one of the former manufacturers that she knew uh, she had known when she was doing business, and he pointed out that these kids are just talking big. What they could be doing is flavoring some kind of a cut, like with a horse vitamin or something from a feed store. Now, cut, in case you don't know, refers to an additive that looks and appears to be the same as meth, cocaine, heroin, etc., but actually doesn't contain the drug. The real product is cut to lower the amount of drug per whatever measured amount is intended to be sold. This happened at my uh, school, in my middle school. Uh, some kids brought some baking soda, claimed it was cocaine. Why? I assume because they wanted to look tough. Cool. Yeah, well, they yeah. all got suspended for a, a semester, and shows you how serious they take it there. Mm-hmm. Um, they got suspended for a semester, and, uh, well, I suppose they learned their lesson. I don't know. So they cut the drugs in order to raise the amount of profit. What Robert, the drug dealer, was suggesting might be t- uh, taking place is that the teens are being sold or are making, then selling, cut, or essentially a fake product. Mm. Robert also went on to explain that the, considering the challenge faced with cook when cooking meth... Any experienced manufacturer will tell you that the process would not be mastered in one's teen years, not enough to create a product which only acts, reacts in the form of actual methamphetamine, but which is also in a candied form that tastes like chocolate. He said this undertaking would challenge an experienced chemist as far as being able to produce a product that burned, smoked, and felt the way that meth does. Given the process of making methamphetamine, I have a hard time believing children master this volatile undertaking in any manner. That is not to say they absolutely can't, just that it's unlikely. Then when paired with the cola claims, absolutely impossible. So pointing out that his earlier, or her earlier point was, in the meth business, most dealers aren't making their own meth. Most dealers are users who are selling meth that they're getting from another dealer. And their lower, mid-level, high-level dealers, they're all getting it from different distributors. These distributors, there's somebody somewhere different organizations, criminal organizations, that are manufacturing very large amounts of methamphetamine in labs, some secret labs, and then they distribute it to their high-level dealers, and it goes down to the mid-levels, and it goes down to the lower levels, and then it makes it to the street level. And and that's how it works. It's very rare that anybody actually cooks up their own batch. And there's no way in hell that at the, uh, the super high-level dealer level, the manufacturer level, there's no way that they're manufacturing candy meth to market to children. The gangsters know there's no money in that, so why on earth would they do such a thing? And now maybe it's possible they're making some sort of flavored meth in order to market it to adults. I'm, that seems likely That's to me. That's possible. Sure, to make your product better, more palatable. 
1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number. So there you go, the inside scoop from a real meth dealer. As we go to the phones and to the fun, you can take control of the airwaves. Let's go to Tim in Illinois. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Tim. Hey, what's going on, guys? Hey, what's on your mind? Um, well, I am the closeted atheist. The Oh, the one that emailed the show? Yes, sir. So you're the guy, um, just to re- well, hold on, just to recap, you're the guy with a wife who's a Christian. Yes. And you've been married for how many years? Uh, going on two in August. Okay, so relatively new marriage, and your Christian wife, who's not a, she's not a Bible thumper, she, does she have uh, Bible quotes posted around the house, Bibles everywhere, little pictures of uh, Jesus? No, uh, she, she does have a cross that she, uh, we just moved and she demanded that we hang it above the door. Hmm. Uh, Got to keep the vampires out. Um, uh, supposedly. So you've been an atheist for how long? Um, I would say five to six years now. And so you were an atheist before you met your wife, or had right. you met her at that time? Uh, actually, we were kind of high school sweethearts. Uh, it came up. Uh, she forced me to go to church with her. and uh, She forced kinda, you? Well, ba- you know. She really uh, wanted him to go to church. Meaning she wouldn't yeah. put out if you didn't go to church? Right. I got you. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Um, a good church-going girl and won't put out, yeah. So you went to church with her, your relationship developed, and somehow you forgot to mention before the marriage that you're an atheist. It's not that I didn't uh, forget to mention. Uh, like I said in the email, I, I did drop hints. Uh, I, I was kind of scared to come out and say it. Um, I, I still am. But uh, the reason I'm calling mm-hmm. is that um, we, uh, we're expecting a baby here coming up in March. Is this uh, your second, second baby? Child. Second Yes, one. it is. Okay. Um, and the, uh, the thought of christening the new child came up. Right. Christening. And, uh, yeah. That's uh, when you uh, sprinkle water on the child's head. A baptizing? It, it's it's a, right. basically a public... No, it, Christening isn't exactly baptism, but whatever. Um, it's basically a public naming of the child. I bring before you Ian. Steve. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is essentially what's happening. I mean, that's that's what the idea of the ceremony okay. is. There's some religious stuff to it, but, you know, that's it, basically it's the naming of the child in okay. public. Okay, got it. And uh, saying that, uh, that we'll try to raise it in a Christian household and under Christian values and stuff like that. I see. And that's, that's posing a new problem now since I uh, emailed. Ah. So yeah. you're, you're concerned about saying, you know, the preacher is going to ask you something like, um, are you going to raise this, you know, do you swear to raise this child in a uh, good Christian household? And then and you, you have, have to, answer, to lie. And you have to answer, yes. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, not easy being a closeted atheist, is it? No, it is not. There are lots of issues that come up like this where you're forced to either lie, which makes you feel lousy on the inside, yeah. or, or come out of the closet, which could potentially damage your marriage, could damage other family relationships. Do you have family that are also religious? Uh, yes, I do. Is it your family? Yes. So Her family is not so much. Uh, her stepmother, when she was being raised, was uh, was very deep in the uh, in Christianity, and mm-hmm. she kind of that kind of rubbed off on on my wife. Well, in all likelihood, they're going to be there's going to be some kind of mitigating uh, word or two in the uh, statement that the priest uh, preached or preacher is going to uh, tell you, and that's going to be like, do you promise to do your best to raise this child in a Christian right. capacity or something like that? And you know, for your own conscience, you can say to yourself, 
well, yes, I'm going to do my best at it, but I'm just not very good at uh, raising a kid in Christian capacity because I'm not an one. atheist. Um, right. You know, I, <laughs> maybe. Yeah, that might give you an out for your uh, your mental anguish, perhaps. I don't think uh, I don't think you have a pretty situation here, no, my friend. It's, it's not going to stop. I mean, even if you can get through the christening, okay. In that fashion, it's still not going to stop the mental anguish that you have over not being forthright and honest, I think, with your wife about your belief system, or rather lack thereof. Yeah. Have you, um, I mean, have you been sort of mulling this over for a long time? And and if so, how do you feel about it? Do you feel like you're ever going to do anything as far as coming out of the closet? And what are the potential repercussions? I mean, I, I kind of feel like I've kind of uh, dug my own grave on the issue uh for lying about it or not being completely honest for as long as we've been together. And so to just kind of come out and say it would absolutely blow her mind, I believe. Do you think she could get over it and uh, sort of move on and, and have a, an okay relationship with you? I suppose if she loves me, she'll have to. Well, that would be the ultimate test, wouldn't it? I suppose. you really find out if your wife loved you or not. I wouldn't want it to have to come to that, though. I bet you wouldn't. Let us know what happens, Tim. It's uh, it's an important question, mm. and a, it's a difficult situation that uh, you need to weigh very carefully. Though I, I of course, it, guys. I of course lean on the side of coming out. Thanks for the call, man. Appreciate it. Oh, Thanks. and Mark doesn't. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. More on the way. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just three dollars a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're kicking off Hour 3, and you can take control of the airwaves via our toll-free packet 8.net line, 800-259-9231. It's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features, totally free. Enjoy enjoy those on us, freetalklive.com. Let's go to the phones right away to start things out here this hour and talk to Sam in Texas on the amplifier line. Hello, Sam. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Good evening, sir. What's on your mind? I want to tell you about a BBC story that broke last week about vulture corporations. What's that? This involves. Oh, yeah. go ahead. I was just going to ask. I'm sure you're going to answer it. What is a vulture corporation? It's a. It's kind of a complex uh, thing, but it, it gives a great example of how corruption is present just at all levels of government. And I think you'll understand once I go through the example. Okay. It's it's kind of a complicated topic, but I think I can state it simply enough. So we'll talk about uh, Zaire. If you go back to 1989, they borrowed $10 million from Romania to help you know, run the government. Okay. Uh, okay. Fast forward to today, they're broke, uh, unemployment's really high, people are starving. It's a really, really bad situation over there. And they still owe the $10 million to Romania? Well, now it's $42 million with interest. Interest, okay. Okay, so Bono's been going out raising relief funds for countries just like this. Uh, you know, the IMF and the World Bank were chartered with doing this, but critics say they just exploit these countries and make the rich richer. Okay. So. <clears throat> what a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so what he did was uh, raise some kind of a bond package that refinanced their debt and saved them $40 million in interest payments. Bono so, did this. Bon- yeah, well, he's part of, he's been going around to all these countries saying, Hey, you need to increase your funding to these poorer countries. Okay. And so, and he was behind the idea of doing a bond offering. 
So who okay. made who who um, reduced their, who paid off the debt essentially? Somebody paid off a portion of the debt. Well, Bono got donations from various different countries, and it wasn't just for Zaire, but somehow they've benefited. Okay, and I'm sure the U.S. had a hand in it. And you can guess where the Federal Reserve got that money from. They printed yeah. it. Okay, all right. Yeah, the printing press. So, okay, so today, or as of a couple weeks ago, uh, in a U.S. bank account, Zaire had $40 million that was raised to help feed people in Zaire and get the country back on its feet. Okay. Okay, so part of that $40 million, they were going to settle their debt with uh, Romania, and they had reduced it down to about $3 million because Romania figured, hey, they're bankrupt. We, we may never get this money. Take whatever we can get. <clears throat> yeah, and that's where the Vulture Fund comes in. They were just about to settle for the $3 million when they came in and bought the debt. Now, why they would do that, there's accusations, not just in this case, but in the several others where this has happened, that they just bribed a government official to get that contract. So, so, like, so, they, so they bought it like a foreclosure kind of thing. Yeah, this is almost like the debt collectors in the United States. You buy a bad debt and collect what you can and make a profit off of it. And I'm fine with that, but it's the when they use it, you know, when they corrupt officials to get that debt, that's when I kind of have a problem with it. And when the debt was created with fiat currency anyway. Exactly. So okay. this Vulture so, Corporation stepped into the deal between Zaire and Romania and with some sort of government uh, malfeasance, was able to purchase the debt away from whoever was about to make that deal. And so that nullified the deal, and now now um, Romania has been paid off but by the Vulture Corporation, and now Zaire owes X amount of dollars to the Vulture Corporation? Right. So the Vulture Corporation, which is out of Washington, D.C., uh, took this uh, contract that they have with Romania to a court in London and I think got it stamped to where London says, yes, Vulture Corporation, it's your debt. You're free to collect on it by whatever means. Okay. Then they come back over to the United States and sue the bank that's holding the $40 million for relief funding. And there's... Sue, uh, for, sue uh, because, uh, because they want all the money instead of the $3 million. So essentially what was going to happen, I think I've got this now, what was going to happen was Zaire was going to settle for $3 million with Romania. Uh, Romania. That would have taken care of the debt. Then they would have gotten the $40 million, or they would have gotten $40 million minus $3 million, so $37, 37 million. million to essentially supposedly help their people, which, of course, we all know the malfeasance of government. It probably never would have gotten into the hands of the poor people anyway. But no, nonetheless, the purpose was to help this, uh, this country out. So they would have gotten that $37 million, but now this company's going over and saying, hey, that money's supposed to be ours to pay this $45 million debt that we just bought. Right, and there's one bureaucrat who can put a stop to it with a simple letter saying vulture funds cannot get access to this relief funding for Zaire, and you can guess who that is. I don't know. I don't know who that Bush? is. Bush? Bush. Of course, he was silent because uh, there's two of these guys that are real famous. Uh, one calls himself Goldfingers. He's out of D.C. The other one's in New York. The one out of New York was the number one campaign contributor to Bush, giving him $1.5 million in the last election. And he's in charge of fundraising for Giuliani's campaign, wow. and has raised fifteen million for him. Mm. Oh my goodness! The dirty game. That is some yeah. sick stuff. Now this is a BBC report. This was. It, it broke last week. There was a 
interview Thursday on Democracy Now. It's a good podcast that people can listen to. Yeah, good. If you like socialist tripe. (laughs) It's probably uh, well-produced, though. It's the good with the bad. But then, so the courts ruled Friday, because the Bush administration was silent, that this vulture fund could collect. They took that $40 million and don't think that he actually paid taxes on it, hmm. like lottery winners or prize contestant winners. Because it was it a went, debt. Well, no, because it went to a shell corporation in the British Virgin Islands. Oh. So it was tax-free landfall, basically. Amazing. For a $3 million debt. And the way he did it was by being in with you know, the president and, and bribing these government officials in other countries. Well, it is all about who you know, isn't it? That's politics. It is. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Sam. Did you have any other thoughts? Uh, nope, that was it. The show's been great lately. Thanks for the call, dude. 800-259-9231. Wow. I wonder how much, that 30, how much of that $37 million would have actually gone to help somebody in Zaire. You know, not politicians, not their, uh, you know, their designees in, in Zaire, but, you know, actual people getting some kind of help at the end of the line. No way to tell. Not too much. I guess none of them will be getting any of it now. It's all presumptive. And uh, either way, I mean, wow. Just an amazing look into the way corruption just works and the way that uh, people's palms get greased. The way the, and that's what government's all about. I mean, we've pointed out it before. You, you help your uh, friends out with your power and you punish your enemies. And in this case, it's a perfect example. This guy got help to the tune of $37 million. Right. That's exactly what politics is. Wow. Uh, stunning story. 1-800-259-9231 is the toll-free number for you. Other things that politics, uh, another example of politics comes from a story that you have, Mark, about some people who thought they were doing the right thing. They put up a camera and caught something that, well, apparently somebody didn't like that they got caught. Yeah, this is uh, from the the Daily Tribune, apparently out of Cartersville, Georgia. A Bartow County couple will go before a magistrate judge today to see if they'll be arrested for allegedly stalking a Kennesaw police officer by installing cameras to track neighborhood speeders. Somehow they got arrested for stalking, for installing cameras to catch speeders. Lee and Teresa Sippel spent $1,200 of their own dollars mounting three video cameras and a radar speed unit outside their home, which is at the bottom of a hill. Mm-hmm. They said they did so in hopes of convincing neighbors to slow down to create a safe environment for their son. Now, these people sound pretty serious about creating yeah. a good neighborhood, don't they? They put out their own money for this. They do. Well, the Sipples allegedly caught a Kennesaw, a Kennesaw police officer, Richard Paron, uh, speeding up to 17 miles an hour over the speed limit. Uh, Perone uh, altered Barto, alerted Bar- Barto authorities, who in turn visited the Sipples' home to tell them Perone intended to press charges against them for stalking. Wow. Well, obviously... Is um, that even possible? I, it, I, don't, I can't imagine. I mean, sh- the fact he that they're allowed... Targeted. No, the fact that they're allowed to bring those charges is... Uh, it, it's, it, it's a shame. And if anybody ever convicted these people of this... My God, how messed up is the system? Yeah. Uh, well, that, so the charges have yet to be brought, or they are possibly going to be brought? It said um, the Perone intended to press charges against them for stalking. You know, why didn't they give Perone a speeding ticket? Oh, why because he's immune. Sovereign immunity. No, 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 no. Sovereign immunity. This is in a different town. Hmm. This is Kennesaw. The, these are the Bartow authorities. Well, he's a cop. I mean, good yeah, old boys' they network. They just don't like to do that. Good old boys' network. Protect they shouldn't the, be going after these people. They should be going after this cop. Protect the blue line. 800-259-9231. Your show. You take control of the airwaves. Free Talk Live. 
This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything toll-free, 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. You can join us on our website, freetalklive.com. All the features are totally free. Get signed up for the updates, and we'll clue you in whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show. That's updates.freetalklive.com. To get on the list, updates... FreeTalkLive.com. And do you have a company that needs to try something new in the area of collections? Well, SACL CII does collections, and they do it in a whole new way. SACL's employees are trained at resolving issues for your customers and treating them with respect. They know that not only do you want to collect your money, but you'd like to keep your clients, too. SACL CII. Check out their banner at FreeTalkLive.com or call 800-544-6359. That's 800-544-6359. Do business with businesses that support Free Talk Live. Now, we just finished a story, Mark, about Kennesaw, Georgia. It was, was it Georgia? It, I heard Kennesaw. I it, was, it, was it was Georgia, yes. Uh, and there were, were, were a couple who set up a camera, $1,200 mm-hmm. installation of a, a video camera. Three cameras, I believe. And uh, a few cameras and a speed uh, uh, detector, radar detector yeah. a radar detector, and I presume a sign to show people how fast they were going. Because how else? I mean, the, the purpose was yeah. to show their neighbors uh, how fast they were going. Kids They probably around. saw one of these that the government has and, and pays significantly more than $1,200 is which, what right. they invested. But they've, you know, you've seen them, uh, I would think. On the side of the road. On sure. the side of the road. They tell you how fast you're going. I, I right. usually step on it just to see if I can get it up, you know, get it nice <laughs> and high as I go past. But, um, you know, these people wanted to make their neighborhood safer. They wanted to make their neighbors more aware that uh, they're right. speeding. And so be, go slow. There's kids around, that sort of thing. Right. And They're at they, the bottom of the hill, and that's where people have a tendency to go the, the quickest. They caught a cop going 17 miles an hour over the speed limit. Right. And I don't know. I guess he saw the um, the sign, got offended, and then decided to file charges. Right. You're not the government. You don't belong doing this stuff. Only the government should do this. He called it stalking. Mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a, a great example of the we're better than you mentality that a lot of people in government, and especially law enforcement, have. It's the us-versus-them mentality, the little people versus the thin blue line. Mm-hmm. And it's disgusting to me. I agree. And here's another example of it from KXAS Television, Pelican Bay, Texas. People in the small Tarrant County town of Pelican Bay are complaining they're being victimized to raise money for police. Really? Citizens in a town of 1,800 people are complaining that the police are now going out of their way to stop people and impound cars in the city's new storage lot to help pay for the police department. And, in fact, some residents say they need protection from the police. Wow. City Council Member Renee McHorter carries a tape recorder, and resident Mike Jones totes around a camcorder. Just basically for protection to protect my rights, says Jones, because most of the citizens are just terrified of the police department. I was accused of having blinders on, and I did, but the blinders are off, and I see, McHorter said. The majority of Pelican Bay City Council support their police department, and to help give officers a big raise last year, they opened an impound lot. Instead of sending storage fees to some private lot, the city now collects the money, Mm -hmm. and they've got a serious interest now in impounding as many cars as they possibly can. Sure, they make money on uh, however long they manage to keep these cars in jail, so they want to keep as many cars in jail as long as possible. City Councilwoman McHorter said the running joke out here is you go out to get a gallon of milk, it's going to cost you $200, and in three months... They've made over $17,000. Now, this is in a town of 1,800 people. Wow. She says, that's ridiculous. Most, uh, Jones says, most of us just tell our friends and family, don't come by. Just stay away. 
The police chief declined to speak on camera, but insists his officers are impounding no more cars than they used to. Oh, there's nothing's changed well, here. Well, stop impounding cars for a little while. The police chief, uh, apparently the mayor pro tem, told NBC5 by phone he's seen no proof of police improprieties. Now the mayor and the police chief, they wouldn't happen to know one another and maybe play poker together in a town of 1800. They wouldn't be working together to cover up some improprieties by the police department. That, yeah, I wonder that, how much of that um, $17,000 goes to... Uh, you know, the mayor's re-election fund or whatever. Oh, there's nothing like that going on. This is all on the up and up. But McCorder said she received threatening email from the chief and heard other uh, many citizens' complaints. She says, I've been told to watch my back. I'm leaving because I don't feel safe. Good Lord. So the only person on the city council that's for the people in this case has been threatened to the point where she's going to leave town. Wow. What's that going to do for the rest of town? Sounds like Haz- Hazard County from the Dukes of Hazard. Not well, that Hazard County really is like the Dukes of Hazard, but I don't know. But good lord, that's crazy. This sort of uh, stuff goes on across the country. This corruption, malfeasance on the part of uh, elected officials, people using power for their own gain. I mm-hmm. mean, this is what governments allow people to do. It allows people to use power over other people who've never harmed anyone. And now they're impounding people's cars and uh, charging them cash in order to get them out uh, like it's a field day or something. It's sick stuff. Mm. It really is. And this is why I am not for government police. Because of examples like this. These people don't feel protected. They want protection from the police. And as far as I'm concerned, that's a service that somebody could sell me. Like if you wanted to come to New Hampshire and create a government protection agency... A uh, government insurance company, somebody that would uh, insure you against government har- harassment, that would protect you from government harassment and theft, then uh, I would I would buy that service. You know, charge me a yearly fee or something like that, or a monthly fee, like many insurance companies do. I know one guy was proposing some ideas that were very similar to this, where they wouldn't bust you out of jail or anything like that, but they would certainly attend your court trial they would protest in your favor there were all sorts of ideas that were being thrown around and i think as time goes on as more entrepreneurial minded people move here to uh to new hampshire as part of the free state project i i'm hoping we're going to see more ideas like this protection from the police protection from the government because the government believe it or not isn't there to help you they're certainly not in this circumstance not in any circumstance. There are some examples of people you can point out who've gotten help from the government, but at the cost of harming others. Government cannot help someone without harming others first. And it's a sick, twisted organization that needs to be brought to, uh, to, a, to a small a size or a zero size, if possible. 1-800-259-9231. Let's go to Joe in Atlanta. You're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark. Hey, Joe. Hey, guys. Hey, what's on your mind? Well, uh, there's an update on the Sipples. In Kennesaw. Ah, really? What's going now, on? You guys, you guys apparently missed because you're looking at news that's about three days old. What's going on? It's all uh, I can find. Okay. Well, today's only Monday, so this happened Friday, and uh, the officer was convinced in a closed door session with the judge to drop the charges. Ah. Why do he you think that is? To, he had to go to court to press the warrant against them. And in a closed-door session, uh, he's come out and said, you know, well, you know, he's dropped the charges. Obviously, the judge convinced him that, you know, if you do this, you're crazy. 
the judge basically told him, you don't have a case. Yeah, probably told him, if you do this, you're crazy. Very good. Thanks for the update. <laughs> so. Well, I'm, I'm glad that, that, that it all turned out well. I mean, it's just... This I'm goes to show how to little go. they like being, uh, you know, having uh, the spotlight turned on them. That's right. Hey, whoa, yeah. we're the law. You're not the law. You can't talk to us like you can tell us what to do. We tell you what to do, peon. It was a good you example. Guys still there? Yeah, we sure are, Joe. Okay. Well, this, you know, this is why I, I believe in Alex Jones because he's been saying for years the corruption is turning this country into a police state. Well, that much is true. I agree with Alex on that part. It's just the whole uh, 9-11 conspiracy I don't agree with him on. Thanks for the call, Joe. Appreciate it. 800-259-9231. Your show. You take control of the airwaves. This is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. It's your show. You bring up what you want. Toll-free number, 800-259-9231, the packet8.net toll-free line for you. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. All the features, free, including the wiki, wiki.freetalklive.com. Over a 1,000 pages created by listeners just like you. That's wiki.freetalklive.com. It's like the listener-editable version of our website. And is there a young person that's important to you? Well, give them financial literacy. A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich by Jewel Thornton shows kids how to grow up financially free, save early and often, and how to develop passive income streams, the key to financial freedom. The average college student graduates with 7000 in credit card debt. That's no way to start a life. Buy them A Kid's Journey to Getting Rich at akidsjourney.com or call 1-800-657-5066. That's akidsjourney.com or 800-657-5066. As uh, we jump into the email box, I've got a couple emails I want to catch up on. In fact, I've got a lot of them, but uh, we'll only have time to catch up on a few of them. This one from Kevin. He says, every four years, my usually tranquil facial features contort into an unholy grimace sired from sheer chagrin. That was admittedly much too cryptic and overwhelmingly poetic. If you'll grant me but several sentences to reach the main thrust of my communique, I would be pleased as the proverbial punch. (laughs) I refer to the electoral process to which the United States adhere itself. As the votes for presidency compile, the map of the country reliably bedecks itself in wholesome blue and red. It is this level of unrelenting reliability that makes me wonder if air will see a state take on a different hue. White would make the most sense, considering it completes the patriotic trifecta. Yes, it does. Unfortunately, I believe it already claimed by the neutral state of a given state. I'm certain the verdict, uh, the verdant shades of green have allied themselves with the Green Party. So what is left for the, uh, for the states that lean libertarian heavy? Unless it's already been decided, I now propose that our favorite party claim yellow as its own. Okay. Not because we're cowardly or sickly yellow, mind, but surely not. No, uh, mostly because it's the only remaining primary color, and I believe it would look rather fetching whilst filling in a state on CNN's graphic. More seriously, though, do you free talkers believe a voting day will arrive on which the libertarian candidates will take the electoral votes of at least a single state? Should such a day break, I honestly believe I'll lose my stolid composure and break into tears. The joy kind, of course, as a result of the nation realizing it's not limited to the two comparable, uh, comparatively poor choices. So two, two questions so far. What color, if a libertarian, were, a libertarian candidate for president were to take a state, which color should it be? I'm fine with yellow. Um, I would have got, guessed white, but uh, I, and I don't think there's any guarantee that 
necessarily whatever map it is that they're drawing from. It'd probably be like some kind of tan or taupe that they would start with as far as the color. But if they if you can't have white, sure, yellow's fine. I, I wouldn't call it yellow. I'd call it gold. I see. Yeah, I think gold is a good uh, good color for the generally the libertarian pro freedom movement because we're all about uh, gold backed currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all about creating wealth. Uh, we're about the the free market. And it just seems like gold would be a, an appropriate color for us. So I, I sort of agree with him on that. And uh, also in regards to whether or not a libertarian candidate will ever win the electoral votes of a single state, I have no idea. I'd like to say that I hope it could happen. I, I, I would like to see it happen someday. I think it, if, it, if that did happen, it would show a, a major shift in the tendencies of the American people, in the, the paradigm of the American people. It's possible. It's possible. I don't. I don't see it happening, though. Not unless something serious changes. Uh, unless, for instance, the Free State Project. It could happen in New Hampshire, but then again, I don't know what to expect on a national level. Anything can happen on a on a national level, and it's not going to happen unless we can finally get onto the same page as these other candidates. Unless libertarian candidates can get the same level of press coverage can get the same level of respect as a Republican or Democrat candidate. And if, if the 2004 election is any example of, what's, uh, of what things are like, then it's not going to happen for a long time. I mean, the Libertarian and, and Green Party candidates, the only real national news they ever got was a one-sentence mention in an Associated Press article about, how, uh, about the national debates. And what happened was the Green Party... Uh, candidate and the Libertarian Party candidate were both arrested together, crossing a police line as they tried to serve papers. Uh, essentially, it was p- some sort of court summons. Uh, they tried to serve papers to uh, one of the candidates. Right. Or I think that's well, they, they wanted to be included basically in the debate, and they were excluded from it. And they right. they were trying to do what they could to get in it. And they were arrested, and you would think that would have been big news. You would think that the arrest of two candidates for president, who are both qualified on enough state ballots to possibly win, you would think that they would have made bigger news, but it was one sentence in a much larger article about the debates in general. It was like a whole big article about the debates, and then one sentence in there mentioned that a couple guys got arrested, and they happened to be candidates for president. That was it. Yeah. And that was the extent of the nationwide coverage that the Libertarian and Green Party campaigns received. And uh, we've got a long way to go. Could things change quickly? Of course. It's politics. Uh, it's national elections in other countries have uh, drastically shifted. Uh, d- d- politics, the, the Berlin Wall fell without anybody ever really expecting that to happen. Russia was destroyed from the inside without anyone ever necessarily expecting that to happen. It, it, I so, suppose it's possible. So Anything's can, possible. It's just that you know I've joined the Republican Liberty Caucus because I believe that that's the likely way to uh, bring libertarian politics on a nation, nationwide basis well ron paul is certainly going to be trying to do that this uh this year and so i, I give or next year and so certainly wish uh, wish him the best of luck in doing so uh but if there's going to be some sort of drastic change will it be simply that a libertarian wins a state or will it be far more drastic than that uh, i would expect a major change if something's going to shift i think it's going to be far bigger than just a state voting libertarian. I don't know what it'll be, don't know what to expect, but uh, only time will tell. He continues, he says, At the venerable age of 23, I'll be sign-lined for the next three elections. When we've entered the sonorous-sounding year 2020, however, I will be eligible for the ticket. 
Possessing relative youth, charisma, a handsome and dapper appearance, and a resounding appreciation and cry for libertarianism, will I be able to make history and put a yellow New Hampshire on the map? Perhaps, but probably not. I'm curious what all of you reckon it will take for a libertarian to be a uh, presidential contender in a libertarian state, though. What sort of political background must he or she cobble together? What outlets of media must they tackle to make their undulating shouts for liberty audible over the rabble? Have you any outlandish campaign maneuvers or techniques to share with a field of potential runners? Discuss and I'll die happy from Kevin. And it sounds like Kevin's actually considering running for president Hmm. from that. Well, uh, you know... Keep a uh, squeaky clean Boy Scout uh, background. That'd be my best uh, advice. Because, you know, if you don't have one, then they're going to come looking for whatever it is you've done, and they'll hold it over your head. What if you come out with that in advance? I don't know. doesn't seem like... uh, I don't know. Would would it sideline you, or would it give you more attention? Maybe. For instance, you, Mark, as someone who's spent nine years in prison, if Mm -hmm. you were to run for president with that out in the open... They wouldn't be able to hold it over your head at that point. You'd be embracing your past. I mean, you'd still be uh, stepping I'd have away a lot from of, it. I'd have a lot of ugly questions to answer. You would, but uh, those questions might actually give you more press coverage than you would have gotten otherwise. They might. That's just, I, I don't know. I just I don't think that you should necessarily shy away from uh, from politics just because you might have a checkered past. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I just I despise politics. Uh, I don't really care um, what you do about your political aspirations. I'd say the more pro freedom people in uh, running for office, the better. It doesn't matter to me what your what your past is. In fact, I think there are a lot of people in America that would forgive uh, a candidate like that and say, you know what, this is a real guy. This is a real man who's uh, you know served seen the system from the inside i would vote for somebody like that i wouldn't give somebody a reason not to vote for you though and uh well they're they're going to have all kinds of reasons to not vote for you they're going to disagree with you on various different issues i mean if they're not going to vote for you because you spent a year or two in a jail cell can't, then screw can't em. you bring your realness to somebody without having a checkered past i would think you could I don't understand what you mean by that. Well, can't you show somebody that you're a real person with real interests as far as um, you know bringing the country back to liberty without having been a convicted felon? Yeah, but if you do have a checkered past, I'm not. I just don't think it should prevent you from participating. It would be an interesting experiment. None. I mean, at the very least, and probably rather expensive. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Well, a presidential campaign, yes, but I'm talking starting small. You know, with a city council run or something. Which is something that Kevin might want to consider. Uh, maybe moving to New Hampshire and running for local office before he goes crazy with the whole president thing. More on the way. This is your show, Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You bring up anything, even in these remaining moments. Just enough time for your call if you make it now at 800-259-9231. The packet 8.net toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Mark. 1-800-259-9231. Join us on our website at freetalklive.com and enjoy all the features that we have there it's all completely free. In fact, uh, we've been giving it away forever. We'll continue to give it away, though we do ask that you voluntarily support the show by vol- uh, by buying some stuff like Free Talk Live branded merchandise, Free Talk Live hats, Free Talk Live shirts, classic archive DVD collector sets. We've got the Free Marketeer flag, and we're giving away bumper stickers at store.freetalklive.com. It's all there, store. .freetalklive.com. And also, don't forget, you can buy virtually anything else you need in life at amazon.freetalklive.com. And when you shop through that link, Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchases. In 35 categories of products, easy to shop, great free super saver shipping on most of their products, amazon.freetalklive.com. 
Who's the most pro-liberty individual in the United States Congress? Many would say it's Ron Paul. Register now for the New Hampshire Liberty Forum, February 23rd through the 25th. Yes, that's this weekend. Meet presidential candidate, congressperson Ron Paul, and other influential people who support your freedom. Register at freestateproject.org slash libertyforum. That's freestateproject.org slash libertyforum, I believe. Oh, by the way, if you punch in the code down DC from our friends over at Downsize DC, you'll get 5% off. So last minute registrations, great way to get a few bucks off. Yeah. Take advantage of it. While you still can. While there are still hotel rooms available, I believe the, um, there's still some more expensive hotel rooms available, but the cut-rate rooms, they've been sold out for a long time. So you may have to go down the street if you can't afford the more expensive rooms. But nonetheless, still room for you at the convention. Of course, the John Stossel thing's been sold out. The Michael Badnarik dinner, I believe, is close to being Very close. sold out. Freestateproject.org slash Liberty Forum. To the email box. To Nico. He says, I'd like to say that I hate taxes. I think they should go away. Money shouldn't be taken from people's pockets after they earned it to provide for someone else who didn't earn it. And I agree. Seems seems real simple when he puts it that way, doesn't it? He says, I don't think the government should have the power to regulate our economy. However, I do think they should regulate one part. I think that businesses should only be able to take up a certain percentage of the market share, regardless of any circumstances, and it should be lower than the current 51%. You may disagree. Businesses take up the market share? 51%. I'm not sure what he's referring to. I don't know what he means when he says the current 51%. I don't think there's any regulatory number that prevents businesses from owning a particular percentage of the market. Uh, he's just saying that he thinks it should be lower. He doesn't think any business should be able to have more than 51% of the market. Oh, I see. Some uh, From a uh, competition aspect. From a competition aspect. Like Microsoft, for instance. Probably, yeah, exactly. Probably owns... Pretty, pretty close, more than 50% of uh, the operating system market share. He Got says, it. you might disagree, and I do, mm-hmm. but I believe that you should agree with me. After all, our market needs competition, and big markets taking over destroy smaller businesses. Big markets taking over destroys smaller businesses and competition. I think he means big companies taking over. Well, mm, the market does need competition. Mm-hmm. But and it, it, it always will have but competition. it doesn't need regulation. And... Nico, by supporting one aspect of government regulation, you might as well support them all. Well, because if you're far. if you're asking for one type of government regulation, the politicians that are going to give that to you are also going to give you a variety of other types of uh, of government regulation. Uh, what is it they, that uh, Michael Cloud says from the Center for Small Government? Government plus one small government plus one exception equals big government, because your one exception multiplied by everybody else's one exception, where they want government to work, where they want government to, to be, um, equals a big government with a lot of government programs and a lot of regulations. You it's just regulation. can't get away from it. It's regulation that keeps people out of a particular market and, and, out, and, and stops competition. It's it stifles true. competition. So I don't think that we need a government there to regulate that there is competition, because if they're going to regulate that there is competition, then everybody wants to regulate a little something else. Right. Regulation favors those who are currently in business over those who are not yet. So, for instance, let's look at Nico's proposed regulation and think about how it would work in the real world. In Nico's mind, it's going to be, oh, this company's going to have 5% of the market share, and this company's going to have 10%, and and there's going to be a bunch of other companies out there with little percentages, and there'll be a lot of competition, and everything will be great. And you know what? Competition is great. But let's look at the reality of politics. Remember, let's go back to uh, what we talked about earlier, and that is government rewards its friends. Government people who are in government reward their friends. They use their power to punish their enemies and reward their friends. So... 
Let's apply that now towards Nico's idea. Nico says that no company should be able to have more than 51%. He thinks it should be lower than that number. So let's say 49%. No company should be able to have more than 49% of the market share in Nico's mind. Well, with the way politics works, inevitably people in search of power will get in charge of these political powerful positions and they will be the regulators. And then they'll say, uh, let's say the hamburger business, just to pick a, an industry, McDonald's, and Burger King and uh, and Wendy's. Okay, they've all got roughly. We're making up numbers here. This isn't how the market really is. But let's say uh, Wendy's has 33 percent, McDonald's has 33 percent, Burger King has 33 percent, and mom and pop. Uh, there's a one mom and pop business in town, and they've got one percent of the of the market share. Okay. So essentially, McDonald's and uh, Burger King and Wendy's get together and they meet up with the the politician the politicians in town, and they say, you know, uh, we don't like having this mom and pop in town. They're threatening our 33% market shares, and we really like having our 33% market shares, and, uh, you know, we don't want any more of these mom and pops getting in the game. So, considering there's this regulation on the books that says we can't have more than 49% of the market share, we think it should stay the way it is. The market should stay the way it is. This is enough competition for people. I mean, this is competition. There's three people. There's three businesses serving the the ninety nine percent of the the population. That's essentially what government's all constantly trying to do is protect existing businesses and then stifle. New right, this business. is enough. We've had enough competition. Let's just stop it here. So then they'll build a bunch of new regulations on saying you can't get into the burger business unless you have a $250,000 oven, unless you have a grill set, unless you have, you know, there's going to be all kinds of Don't regulations. Don't forget the, uh, the, the fire extinguishers that are built into the ceiling. Right. And then they have to properly vent the uh, airborne... Um Grease, uh, the, the airborne grease that but goes whatever. There's got to be a multi-thousand-dollar venting system mm-hmm. and whatever else. So they'll work Inspections with the government. On those. They'll work with the government to create all sorts of new regulations in there, and, and, and uh, while keeping your one regulation on the books, Nico, how's that going to make you feel? Then he goes on to say that he hates Walmart. He says they're taking up a huge chunk of the market share. They have cheaper merchandise. They run the little guys out of business because they simply can't compete, and that destroys competition. People want to shop at Walmart because it's cheaper. Producers have no choice but to service Walmart because without doing so, they'll lose a huge chunk of the consumers because Walmart does take up so much of the market share. But Walmart forces business to, uh, businesses to sell their products for lower prices. That's not true. They don't force them. They use their market share to influence them. Yeah. They, muscle they muscle them a little bit. And that's fine because it results in lower prices for me and you. He says, this takes money directly out of people's pockets. No, it doesn't. It keeps money in my pockets. Right, it keeps money in people's pockets, too. It takes profit out of those businesses' pockets. But if they can still get by with that lesser profit, then that's good for me. And Walmart sends consultants to those businesses to show them how to to cut costs. Exactly. So here Walmart is uh, making a good profit on their merchandise, says Nico, because they sell them for cheaper, attracting customers and buy things cheaper, making up for the lost costs in selling their products cheaper. They give their workers minimum wage. That's not true. They pay higher than that. And those workers can't earn a living. These workers, well, why would they work there? If those workers are so unsatisfied and they can't earn a living, why would they work at Walmart? It's amazing that people think that the the whole, um, that economics just falls apart when Walmart's involved. Ah, he says these workers have no choice but to work at Walmart because they force the little guys out of business. First of all, the Walmart doesn't force anyone out of business. They come in and they compete, and there are certain reasons why little guys go out of business. First of all, not all the little guys do. 
Look around your city. There's plenty of mom-and-pop businesses open and thriving. Only some go out of business, and it's because they aren't serving their customers as well. For whatever reason, people decide to go and buy things elsewhere. But Jeff in Indiana has one more reason why the little guys go out of business that we've not necessarily covered before. As he points out, it's difficult to be profitable in many places with government regulations on licensing, insurance, parking, accessibility, etc. Mm-hmm. Around here, he says, there are even specific landscaping requirements. Add to that minimum wages and taxation, even on inventory in some places. All of these costs and requirements make it nearly impossible to run a profitable small business. This creates an environment in which only the large chain stores can be profitable, where the buying power can compensate for all of the extra costs of running a business. So because they're so big, they can handle uh, the regulatory things that are the hurdles that are thrown in their path. Whereas mom and pop stores, one of those regulatory hurdles can be enough to kill them. Yeah, you know, the, the, the right uh, handicap uh, ramp can put them out of business. Yep. You know, if, oh, I'm sorry, you're going to have to tear out your bathroom and uh, triple the size because uh, somebody has to be able to turn around in a wheelchair in there. So if a mom-and-pop store goes out of business in your area, don't blame Walmart. Blame the consumers for not shopping there, or blame the business owners for uh, for being lousy, because that's certainly a possibility, or blame the government for regulating them to death. But it's certainly not Walmart's fault, and they didn't force them out of business. That's absurd. It's been Ian here with you. And Mark. We'll see you tomorrow night online in the meantime at freetalklive.com. Do you like to build things? Have you ever cut wood with a tool? Are you tired of poor quality goods found in the Megalomart? If you answered yes to any of these questions, woodcraftplans.com has a fun project for you to make. We have hundreds of blueprints and patterns which can help all skill levels of craftspeople make wooden lawn furniture, bedroom furniture, yard decor like wishing wells and shadow figures, rocking horses, and a lot more. Visit woodcraftplans.com today. Get a plan and start building. That's woodcraftplans.com.